0: Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. Once again, I am your host, Christina McAteer, and on behalf of Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, would welcome you to the next episode of our podcast focused on financial wellness. Today, our topic is Doctors, Love, and Money, Navigating a Financial Relationship with Your Spouse, and here to help us through is our featured guest, Ms. Catherine Vesnes. How are you, Catherine? I'm having another
1: fabulous day. Thanks, Christy, so much. I appreciate it.
0: Well, welcome back. Kudos to you for doing this yet again, because there's always more to learn. But when we think about our spouse, it is probably one of the most important relationships, partnerships, teammates that we may have in our whole lives. And knowing how important financial wellness is to our overall wellness, It seems there probably should be some attention to addressing this area in our relationship. Help us out here.
1: Well, I would say that is so true. The studies show that one of the key reasons for divorce is arguments over money. And I see that all the time in my daily practice. Although I will say that I think this isn't just limited to a spouse. It can be a partner or just somebody else that you've got a close personal relationship with and you have some financial dealings with. So, Love or money, it can be very painful.
0: Well, there's no doubt, and I'm sure some of our audience may know this more or less, but, you know, running a household is like running a business. It has its own economy. It has its own needs. So what are the key things that we should be looking at when we talk to our spouse about these issues?
1: Well, I would say one of the things is I'd like all of our clients to be having a money conversation before. They get married. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have to tell you a lovely story. I'm going to change some of the, the facts here to protect the, uh, the innocent. But I was working with this lovely neurologist in the Midwest, and i had been working with him through his divorce. And then he was single, and then he then he got remarried, and it was very exciting. And I loved his new wife, but she wasn't at this meeting where he had told me he wanted to combine all the finances. So that's great. So I obviously, I knew about his situation because I'd worked with him for years, but I had no idea about hers. And for whatever reason, she couldn't show up at that meeting. So I'm kind of going through the list, trying to figure out what her assets were. He had no idea. But the, the key thing happened when, he, when I said, well, what about her debts? So Does she have credit card debt, student loans, whatever? He goes, I don't know, but let me get her on the phone. So he, he calls her and turns out she had $30,000 in credit card debt and he had no idea that this is what it was. And I thought, you know, this is a really good question you should have asked before you got married. I don't think it would have changed anything, but it would have really helped to have this information in advance.
0: Go in with your eyes wide open, as they say.
1: Yes, because he's now feeling obligated to pay her credit card bills. And I'm not saying he shouldn't do that, but it's kind of a bit of a shock.
0: Interesting. And I think back to your comment earlier about those who carry credit card debt are often living beyond their means. So not only is it an issue for potentially the debt that is in question in the moment, but lifelong has consequence.
1: Absolutely. So here's some, some questions that I think are really good. And if you're already uh, in a relationship, that doesn't mean they aren't still good questions to ask because they're going to tell you a lot about how your partner thinks about money and how it thinks about it, sometimes good and bad, or sometimes just helpful to know. So the first question I have that I think is very telling is, how did your parents treat money growing up?
0: Hmm. And is that more how they spent, their savings patterns, all of the above? Right. So it's not
1: unusual for me to get doctors whose parents, they either were low earners or they blew through a lot of money. And now my clients are feeling emotionally responsible to take care of their parents. At the same time, they're paying off student debts and taking care of their own kids. So it can put them in a big squeeze. It's, it's But it's a very helpful thing for me to know from an emotional perspective. How did you, your parents treat money? And then I always ask the next question, how did that impact you?
0: Yeah, I would dare guess that's oh important to know because that's not an easy ask. And with the emotional conflict that comes along between caring for your spouse or your kids or your parents, those are hard choices.
1: Very hard choices. And we'll be talking a little bit in just a few minutes about how to deal with that. But a lot of times this has changed the clients, you know, our clients, the doctors tremendously. So sometimes when they watch parents blow through a lot of money, they become the exact opposite. They realize that created financial hardships on them when they were growing up. And so now they're very careful about money. They sock it away. They live under their means. Um, uh, or it can, sometimes I see some, the other thing happen. is like, oh, my parents never had any money. They, they're fine. I don't have to worry about this. I can just spend now. But it's helpful for me as their advisor to know, how do you feel about money now? How has this impacted you?
0: I bet those are... Delicate conversations to walk through because I can only imagine if the each person in the relationship is on opposite ends of a spectrum. There's a lot of negotiation that will need to be done.
1: Yes, that's a really good point. I do want to hit on that too. But let me first go through some other questions that our uh, listeners might want to ask. Another key one is what is your partner's feeling about debt? So some clients... um, They're like so debt adverse, they may have a student debt at like one and a half percent or a mortgage at two. And they're like, no, I've got to pay this off right away. And other people have no problems at all with huge amounts of debts at very high interest rates. So you're right, though, this can create a lot of friction if one's on one end of the spectrum and the other's on the other.
0: Well, certainly, as we've talked about many, many times before on the podcast, the amount of student debt that is becoming more the norm is downright terrifying. So yes, talking about debt and an approach to debt, no doubt, needs to be part of the plan.
1: And obviously, it's helpful when you're both on the same page, but you've got to know where they're at first before we can make sure they're on the same page. Uh, Another question I think is great is what is your investment philosophy? I have some younger docs that are in FOMO, you know, there's this kind of fear of missing out. And as a result, I think they're taking way too much risk early in their careers with money when they should be doing something that's a lot more predictable and a lot safer. But that's helpful because you might have one partner that can take a lot of risk and another that
0: can't. That's funny to think about as I reflect on the number of Bitcoin conversations I've heard at work over the last several months.
1: I know. And we did do a recording on Bitcoins. And I'm thinking I should have emphasized more on that recording, that for every person that loves them, there's some Bitcoins or somebody that hates it, you know, and vice versa. So there's strong feelings on both sides of that.
0: Well, the good news is we can always bring it up again, because it's all intertwined. (laughs) Yes, it is. Well, now back to our questions.
1: So another great question is, how much can you save per month? Or how much do you save? Per month. This can be very eye-opening in a new relationship. And um, I think of this as in two uh, two buckets, kind of a put and keep bucket and a put and take bucket. By the put and keep, I mean, this is money that's for long-term. Um, we don't want to touch that unless it's absolutely some crisis. I consider that do not touch money unless it's, like I said, it's, it's some huge disaster. And then the put and take bucket is more for short-term things, like maybe we're saving for a car or a down down payment. So just you know, talk to your significant other and find out how much are they putting in each and how much do they think they should be putting in and what are they doing there.
0: An interesting point on this and perhaps even the philosophy at large, does it change through the stages of life? And I ask because I think that a lot of times people are really committed to savings, but then a child comes along or two and they realize how much childcare costs. And then well, you've got to get the bigger house and the bigger car to go along with that. And even though savings may have been a priority in the onset, it certainly seems to fall off the list. And I don't know if that's a change in philosophy or just necessitated by life circumstance.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. It's life circumstance. So a lot of our young doctors, if they're, even if they're married or if they're, certainly if they're not married, I encourage them to sock it away. And I tell them straight up, once you get married, you start having kids, you're not going to be able to save at this level. So we might as well sock it away now while you can and let that uh, long-term compound interest really work for you. You're absolutely right. I mean, I've had years when my kids were young and you know, we've talked about some of the auto, the auto accidents. My, my husband was in not his own fault. We, you weren't able to save anything. It was all you could do just to keep those bills paid on a monthly basis and keep those kids at school. And then once those kids are out of college, it's like, Oh, look at this. We've got some disposable income. Now we can make up for lost time. So you're very right. There's cycles to this.
0: Well, and I guess that's part of the importance of always having a plan. <laughs> May not be something that's executed, but as long as you have a plan in place, you can make it happen over the years.
1: Yes, you're talking to the girl who loves a plan. Um, another question to ask is, do you have an emergency fund and what, what's a good amount for you? So occasionally I'll see doctors like, I need $100,000 cash in the bank, which seems like a lot to me. I'm not saying we don't want $100,000 or more in easily accessible money, but that much in the bank, as you know, I don't think at current rates is probably not working for you. But once again, it's whatever you feel comfortable with. Sometimes we've got the, uh, one spouse or partner wants a hundred thousand in the bank. The other is very happy to have five thousand there. So once again, we just want to figure out what's the happy medium, what's going to work for both of you.
0: Yes, I would say that's very important because nothing feels worse than having to struggle to pay your bills.
1: Another great question is how much debt do you have? And how much in student loans? What is credit card debt? I'm always worried when you've got um, a future spouse or a partner that's carrying credit card debt that they're not paying off every month. To your point earlier, this is usually a sign that they're living beyond their means. And it's, once again, something you want to know.
0: Perfect. And I think it's also potentially timely in the moment, as we enjoyed some very low interest rates on credit card of recent. But it seems like that is not potentially going to be our reality going forward.
1: Well, and low credit card rates... Don't get me started on, on this. Before 1974, some of those credit card rates were like maybe 8 or 9%. And then they they went up when inflation was really, really high. And then those credit card companies never really brought them down. So I have seen uh, clients in credit cards with like 22% interest, which is just nuts crazy. Obviously, we don't want that.
0: That is crazy. Interesting question. And I don't expect you to have the answer to this off the top of your head, but I'd be curious to know, What is the number of average American has in credit cards? For example, do they have two accounts, three accounts? Any thoughts there, Catherine?
1: I don't have any idea about that. I would say most of our doctors probably have two to four different credit cards. Uh, I have seen some with a lot more, you know, particularly ones that are overspenders. They might have credit cards with, oh, like Best Buy. They might also have them with big department stores like Macy's and other places like that.
0: Interesting.
1: All right. Back to some other questions. Ask them what their plan is to get out of debt. And another great question is, when would you like to be financially independent? What does that look like to you being financially independent? And what is your plan for getting
0: there? Always got to have a plan. And as you've heard me say, encourage financial independence. I think that it's something you owe to yourself because carrying that stress, I don't think does anyone any favors over the term of your career.
1: No, it's really, really hard. It it just reminds me, I had a lovely, lovely client I met with yesterday and he is so burnt out with practicing medicine. I just felt so sorry for him. And I, I realized that part of what motivates me is helping doctors reduce their stress. And I may not be able to reduce their stress with their relationships or their job or whatever, but if we can reduce their financial stress, that takes the stress off of the rest of their lives because they've got more energy, more emotional energy, more financial energy, you know, more spiritual energy to handle the rest of their lives. So anyway, a little bit about my personal motivation and why we do this.
0: I think that's so great and something I, I'm a, in 100% agreement Although I would be curious, when you say financially independent, with our new graduates coming out with $300,000, $500,000 in debt, is that something that can be achieved relatively easily? Or is that something that you really have to commit to the long game, as they say, and understand that that much debt will potentially take decades to manage?
1: Yeah, that is such a good question. So you're probably familiar with the FIRE um, movement, uh, financial independence, retire early, and there's a number of doctors that have been into this into this movement. Now, I've read crazy stories about this about people maybe working for Google and not actually having a house. They actually kind of like live in their cars or their vans on Google parking parking. <laughs> Lots. They go to work, they shower there, <laughs> they eat a lot of the food that Google provides with the idea that everything that they're making from Google and Google pays really well, uh, they're socking it away to be financially independent. I do not have any doctors that are going to that extreme. <laughs> you know, they're not camping out and living in, the, uh, in student housing or whatever to save money. So, yes, you can certainly become financially independent, but this gets down to your point. We have to be realistic. What's going to what's going to help you get there? And you need to be thinking about this, I would say, before you finish your training, because a big risk uh, point is those doctors that finish their training and they immediately go out and buy the BMWs and they buy the big house and that's going to set them back and make it more difficult for them to become financially independent. So when they have those big loans, in my mind, the first step is, okay, what's our debt plan? How do we get out of debt? And how do we make this work with the rest of our lives?
0: Sure. And I'm sure so much of that is obviously related to your specialty and the location in which you live. But I just think about how much debt that is. And it sometimes seems overwhelming. So glad there's people like you to help us navigate it through.
1: Thank you. Well, it is a lot of debt, but one of the advantages with doctors is we are understaffed in the United States with medical professionals. So almost every doctor out there could be doing a side gig or could be doing some locum work or could be doing something that could be uh, contributing to getting out of debt sooner rather than later. Um, also some of those student debts, that's crazy. 6.8% interest crazy, crazy interest. In the right situation, it makes sense to refinance them. I've seen interest rates less than half of what they originally were. Once again, that makes it easier to pay them off.
0: Perfect. And again, reflecting on a previous podcast, um, was I correct in saying that you would be willing to go through those calculations with your clients to help decide if and when a refinance was appropriate?
1: Absolutely. We do that with every client and sometimes we do it every couple of years. And some clients have actually refinanced their loans. And then a year or two later, the interest rates are down. It makes sense to refinance them again. Um, or some of them would like to do public service loan forgiveness. We want to weigh the options. So it's, those are, can be some sort of difficult com, um, calculations to do on your own. But yes, we will do that for every single client.
0: Excellent. Great resource there for everyone. I see here next on the list, you have children. (laughs) They are (laughs) miracles. They are expensive. Tell us what we need to be thinking when it comes to all things family matters.
1: Yeah, once again, this is a great conversation to have before you have the kids. A lot changes after you have them, I'll be the first to tell you. You know, some of the things you want to think about is do we have a full-time nanny? Do we put them in daycare, which is a lot cheaper? How do we feel about private schools versus public schools? How about college? Most of our doctors want to make sure that they're covering at least part of their children's college. Some of them I've have, said, have said, told me no. They feel like, no, I paid for mine. My kids can pay for their own college. That's fine. Just you may want to make sure you and your spouse are on the same page. I had a lovely situation with a couple recently, and I feel like part of my discussions with love and money with clients is actually saving some marriages. So we had a situation where one partner said, no, these kids need to go to a private college. I went to a private college. They need to go to a private college. And my parents paid for mine. I want them to come get out of this with no debt. So for our listeners who haven't looked at this recently, just in case you want to know if you were sending your child to Yale this year, it's going to be about $72,000 for the first year. And of course, that goes up every year with inflation. So do the math. It's not unusual to be looking at a half a million dollars or even more to put your kid through a private college. Now, so we had one spouse that was was her dream. His dream was, no, 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 no. They needed to go to a public school and I'm only going to pay for part of it. (laughs) So they were like on opposite ends of the spectrum on this. Actually, I really enjoyed working with them because their positions were both intractable. They were not going to be changing their positions, no matter how much we talked about that. So what I had to do was come up with a solution that was going to satisfy both of them. And the solution I came up with is let's not put all your money in a 529 plan. And the reason is if you have all this money in a 529 plan, you're going to have to use it for college maybe a little bit for high school, but by and large, it's going to be for college. Let's put some of the money that you want to save into a regular brokerage account. We'll earmark it for college. And then if they get some scholarships or they decide they don't want to go to school or they get a free ride to the Air Force Academy, great. Mom and dad can use the brokerage account to retire early. And if not, you've got it there for paying for that private school if you want. And it was really fun to watch them because they both took a big sigh of relief and go, Oh, yeah, that's the perfect solution right now.
0: Excellent. I was actually thinking you were going to say that they left it up to the child to decide
1: <laughs> where did the child got into
0: school and was passionate about going. And I want to say another
1: good question is do you see us combining our finances? Now, I have a lot of doctors that we only work with one spouse, actually, and they keep their finances separate. Some clients want to merge them. Some don't. There's no right or wrong answer here, but I think that's a really good thing to know upfront. And I think it's a good thing to ask, why don't they want to combine the finances? Maybe deep down inside, they really don't trust this other person. They may love them, but they may not trust them. Um, so they don't want to give them access to their money. Um, or there may be some other reasons, but once again, it can be helpful to know.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. And obviously very philosophical when you're <laughs> talking about that. Right. So I, that leads into a problem I see occasionally, which is I've got one
1: spouse that's the spender and one's the, one that's a saver. And very often it's the saver that shows up for meetings and the spender is off doing, I don't know whatever they're doing, but they just don't show up for meetings. And so I have a whole like strategy to try to get them both on the same page. One of them is I have to have the spender show up because if they're not going to show up to meetings, then we can't, you know, try to work through whatever their issues are. And I will spend some time hoping we can come together on what are our mutual goals? What do we what do we agree on? And if these are our goals that we're both agreeing to, can we commit to this mutually agreeable plan? And that works most of the time. Uh, Sometimes, though, we just have one spouse or partner that's not interested. One's really, really concerned about themselves. And I tell them they have to protect themselves. They should be keeping their money saving. They should be saving for their own uh, financial independence and let their spouse then or partner take care of their own and not feel an obligation to have to support them um, if they're not contributing upfront.
0: Wow, that sounds like a tough decision because finances are so tied to the well-being of so many other pieces of life. But it does seem very unfair. And I guess I would say I see this not so infrequently where one spouse is out there hustling and picking up the overtime and working so so hard and working so hard that they don't even have time to spend the money and then you've got one person in the relationship who isn't working or potentially only working per diem or you know one or two shifts a month and spending beyond belief so i can't imagine how that type of agreement is sustainable for very long Right. It's it's
1: sad. Dude, I feel like one spouse is being abused in a way, and at least being taken advantage of. But it does remind me, and I may have told you this story in, in a previous podcast, but when we were first married, Peter and I went to a pizza place in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We were living in Southern Illinois and it took that, we had to drive almost an hour to get a decent pizza at that time. And he could tell when we walked in that this was a Greek family. And he goes, there's mama behind the cash register and that's grandma over there. And those are the young cousins they are, you know, busting the tables. I go, how do you know all this? And he just knew it was very typical of Greek families. So the owner comes over to chat us up and Peter's talking to him in Greek, which was really, really fun. And he's commenting about the people behind there and his wife, he's asking, is your wife working here too? And I'll never forget this guy. He goes, well, basically, absolutely. He goes, when one hand make of the money and one hand spend of the money, you have no money. But one hand make of the money and the other hand make of the money, then you have money. <laughs> and I've thought about that over the years. It's so true. When both hands are making the money, then you've got money.
0: Absolutely. As so many aspects of any relationship marriage have to be in unity and as a team. And finances are no different.
1: Well, and sometimes I I become the great mediator in those situations, and I'm really happy to do it because it can make both parties so much more at peace uh, over the long run, and the relationship so much better if they're on the same page. So, yes, I do get into a little marital therapy now and then again.
0: <laughs> you are the fan of side gigs, so I'm not surprised to hear that, Miss Catherine. <laughs>
1: Well, another situation I see, uh, and this is not just our doctors that were born overseas, but I see this occasionally with doctors born in the U.S. too, is that their parents or their relatives think, well, you're a doctor, you're making so much more money, you should be able to help us out. And they basically think that doctors are making a lot more money than they really are. And it's their obligation to be taking care of their parents or siblings or what have you. Well, you and I know the doctors are not making nearly as much as the relatives think that they are. And in this situation, I've had sometimes have to actually go through a budget with clients. So I I prefer for them to have the hard conversations with, you know, mom and dad right now, we're doing this, this, and this. We really don't have the funds that you think we do because I'm still paying off my student debts or whatever it is to be able to help you out as much as we'd like to. Have the hard conversations. That's one choice. For some clients, I literally have a mom and dad fund where we may set aside 500 a month or whatever it is to be able to help take care of mom and dad when they've got problems. But at least if we plan for it, then it's not a shock. And then our, our doctors have already got it worked into their into their budget.
0: Well, again, reflecting on prior, prior podcast and seeing how expensive long-term care is, even if it's just assisted living, it's no doubt to me that our senior generations are running out of money. And if the expectation or the perception is that the doctors have some and- <laughs> I can fortunately, I can see very easily how the family would look to you as the physician to start picking up some of that tab. Yes, it can be very difficult.
1: Uh, another difficult situation is when I have a doctor who's been divorced and he or she has uh, obviously a former spouse, but sometimes children from the former spouse. And for some reason, these doctors are always getting divorced from, I, I don't know, how crazy people. They're just absolutely nuts. And what happens is the former spouse doesn't manage money well, is constantly under the gun. And then the second marriage then ends up basically supporting the spouse and the kids from the former marriage. And I've seen some uh, number of situations. I'm just going to say this is with, with husbands and wives. It can be reversed. I'm just going to say that the husband was the doctor of the former marriage and he marries a, a doctor, num, doctor number two. And so Female doctor number two really ends up using some of her hard earned money to support um, wife number one and kids from that relationship. And that can be a very, very hard situation, too, because what they find then is they don't have enough money for children of marriage number two or to be able to put kids from marriage number two through college. So it's a tough situation.
0: And I feel like more often we are seeing it's not only putting in the money to get your children to age 18 or to college years, but the expectation of parental financial support seems to go on and on and on forever.
1: Right. And and that can be- Which is tough. (laughs) Very difficult situation. I was just listening to some interesting podcasts about adult parents- whose adult children are narcissists. And one of the comments there was how many times those narcissist adult children actually bankrupt the parents because they're constantly asking for more money, more money, more money. And as a result, the parents are not setting aside enough for their own financial future and they don't have enough to retire. It's really sad.
0: I can certainly see that. And I also see next on the list you have, if your child has some issues potentially with substance use And seeing the financial devastation that that can wreak, what a stress to a family unit and a stress to any financial plan.
1: Oh my gosh. And there's no good answer there. This is your child. You love them. You're going to put them through rehab probably as many times as it takes. And yes, it's probably going to take it away from your future, but you love them. Um, Having grown up in a family where I had uh, a sibling that was quite addicted and watched what this did to my family, I think it's important to kind of, to draw some boundaries here. And maybe you agree to pay for rehab once, or you agree to do something, but you really have to have firm, firm, firm boundaries, or this can lead to that situation I was just talking about, really being bankrupted. Uh, This is also a case where you worry about that child after you're gone. And I would set up a trust to make sure that the trustee is managing the money if you've got this drug addicted child. And maybe the trustee is given the power not to pay anything for them if they're still using or if they haven't been through uh, treatment. So some of the ways to handle that horrible situation.
0: Well, I hope that no parent finds themselves in that reality. However, we both know that that's not true. But my heart breaks for them and I hope they find all the resources and support they need to, right. to make it through.
1: One last thing I think we should think about, unless you've got some other questions, and that's who's going to manage the finances in our relationship and what we we should do about that. So let me see if you've got any thoughts about that before I share a few.
0: Do you find that in relationships, there seems to be one person who has more of an interest or a drive or an acumen for it? Or is it often a shared venture? I
1: would say it seems like with our clients, more often than not, there's one person that kind of manages the finances. And the other one is very happy to let them do it. it, it honestly, I can't even say uh, according to sex, sometimes it's male, sometimes it's female. Just one of them seems to have a knack for it and does a really, really good job. And the other one um, sometimes knows nothing about it at all. Those are the cases I worry about because we really make sure that that spouse that's not managing them is up to speed. So I try to do that in my own relationship uh, with with my husband because I manage all of this. I, Even though we're in this finance family, I love this guy to death, but I don't think he'd even know how to get into our own bank account and what the passwords were <laughs> if I hadn't managed to save them for him some, someplace. But sometimes as much as I adore him, he sometimes he's just curious. So I had one day and I said, what do you think we're spending on our Amazon credit card every month? Cause I had gone through and done some analysis over the last year and it was horrifying, frankly, and he gives me a number and it was really about, of what we were actually spending. Eye-opening. It was shocking. Yeah, very eye-opening. I think he was shocked too. So I think it's great for people like me who like to manage it and want to control it. That's terrific. But really, we have to bring those significant partners into the conversation and let them know or they kind of think if there's an unlimited (laughs) supply of money here, which there isn't, they just need to be aware of what's going on so you can be on the same page.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that you mediate some of these decisions. I would imagine some probably can come to terms of agreement fairly effortlessly, but others, I would dare guess, really strain the ties of the relationship quite significantly. They
1: can be horrible, horrible. I had uh, one couple; that was a horrible situation. She was like a compulsive spender. She just. And she, you know, the the point where it was an addiction where she had tons and tons of clothes and other items that she never used, they still had the tags on them and what have you. And he was really working about literally four or five jobs to pay for this and she wasn't working at all. my, my comment to her is, honey, you need to get a job. <laughs> One thing is when you're working, you can't spend so much. And I well, worked with them and got her to the place where she was willing to at least return the clothes and get some credits for some of the things that she had bought that she hadn't used yet. And that, that helped. But in some situations like that, Christy, I actually think there's some maybe some mental things. I'm certainly no psychiatrist or psychologist, but they may need some professional help in that situation.
0: Not always easy waters to navigate, is it, Ms. Catherine?
1: Definitely not. I'd like to believe love conquers all. Um, But I think if you're open and you do love your spouse, you can work through all these issues.
0: Excellent. Any further summarizing thoughts? Because that seems to me to put it all together.
1: (laughs) Well, I would... A great thing to do is look at the summary of your spending every month and just maybe spend a couple minutes with your significant other and just kind of summarize this is where everything's going so that so they're aware of it and try to get on the same page. Um, and like I said, if you need somebody like us to mediate, try to work with a financial advisor that'll help get you on the same page. It really pays off in the stress relief department.
0: Wonderful. Well, good considerations, like you said, for the beginning of a relationship or really any stage and particularly if you think you're having some struggles over your management of the finances, worth it to get in sync so that you can optimize the position you have and hopefully reach financial wellness, as that is our goal for you. How does that sound, Catherine? That
1: sounds perfect. As always, you did such a great job summarizing.
0: All right. Well, thank you for that. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your input, as always. Feel free to leave any questions in the show notes. Otherwise, we look forward to catching you next month for another episode of Money Minutes for Doctors. Again, my name is Christina McAteer, and on behalf of Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown EM blog, thank you so much for turning in today.